Welcome back to episode 182 of the Yours Julie podcast. My name is Claire. I'm your host, your friendly non-diet registered dietitian, and a person who has a podcast that has also not been on that podcast for about three months. <laughs> I, um, As you may know, if you've been around here for a while, I used to do episodes weekly. Now I've dropped down to once a month. But after I put out my Nourished Girl summer episode earlier this summer, I decided to take a little bit of time off for several reasons. So I have some pretty big updates. A lot of things have changed since I've last been on the mic. The first of those things being that I got engaged, which is so exciting. Um, it was actually maybe a week or so after I recorded and posted that last podcast episode, but it was super sweet. Uh, my fiance and I were moving into our new place and he had a beautiful little picnic and it was very meaningful and special, just the two of us. And of course I said yes. So I have been dipping my toes into the wedding planning waters over the past couple of months, which has been an interesting journey all in of itself and maybe I could do a separate episode on weddings and the diet culture stuff that pops up there but all in all so far it hasn't been too bad. I hear people all the time talk about how weddings are the most stressful and you know they can't wait for the planning period to be over and one of my goals throughout this process is to minimize as much of that as possible because I want to be able to enjoy this time and I don't want to to feel more stressed than I need to. So we're taking it one day at a time. And one thing about me, if I see something and I like it, I just go with it. We make that decision. I don't need to see a million options. I don't need to try on a million dresses. <laughs> I don't need to interview a million photographers. So I've been trying to keep things as simple as possible so far. The other update that I have is that, <clears throat> excuse me, I um, mentioned a second ago that we moved into a new place. Uh, about a mile and a half from where I was before, so not a huge change geographically, but it is a change in that my things are in a new house and I'm recording from a different room or a different in-home office than all of my podcasts have been recorded in before. So if things sound a little bit different, you know why. I also um, have many more windows in this office that don't seem to be very well insulated or soundproofed. So if you hear my neighbor out with some sort of leaf blower, weed whacker, or lawn mowing type device, I apologize. But there's <laughs> not much I can do about that. It's pretty funny. I can hear people talking outside pretty much as clearly as I could if I was standing in their conversation as a part of it. So it would be a great room for eavesdropping on my neighbors, but not a great room for having silence to record something like this. But we're going to make do with what we have. Uh, let's see, other updates. It's sports ball season. I know nothing about sports. I am not a sports girly, but I will say my For You pages on social media, my media feeds have been inundated with Travis Kelsey ever since that there may be some rumors that he's hanging out with our good and dear friend Taylor Swift. And, you know, I'm not mad about it. It is entertaining to be keeping up with some piece of you know, drama in the sports world. So well, I'll take that for what it is. Um, but I have a couple of things coming up in the next couple of weeks and months. I have a masterclass that's coming up soon that is open to the public. It's included for all of my members. If um, you're listening to this episode when it goes live, that has already happened. But I will also have a cooking skills workshop coming up in October that I've actually never opened up to the public before. I've always kept these classes private for community members only and this will still be included for all of my community members but I am doing a little uh, experiment with opening this up to the public for drop-ins so if you are someone who loves non-diet nutrition information and you love this mindset around food but you haven't seen a lot of instruction or tips on how to take this knowledge and bring it into the kitchen and translate this knowledge into actual skills with cooking and building satisfying meals and snacks, then keep an eye out for some stuff that I'll be posting about a month from now in late October on that class and how to join us. That class is going to be called Set It and Forget It, and it's going to be all about building nourishing and satisfying meals in the crock pot with a fall theme. You all know me. I love a theme. I love fall. 
who doesn't? Um, <laughs> I can't believe I haven't mentioned fall and we're five minutes into this recording, but here I am mentioning it now and that cooking skills workshop will have a fall theme. So stay tuned for that. I think, I think. Those are all of my major updates, at least the ones that feel important enough and meaningful to mention. So without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about the topic of today's episode. And of course, I have to introduce the very special guest that is here to chat with us about this topic. Dr. Taylor Arnold, you may have heard of her. You may follow her on nutrition. I, or on Instagram rather, she talks about nutrition, but you probably follow her on Instagram. I know I have followed her for a very long time time and I've wanted to have her on the show for quite some time so the time has finally come and I think it's a great time to have her on the show because she is a pediatric nutrition expert and I know September is a month where if you have kiddos though kiddos are going back to school and you're trying to figure out how to feed them and packing lunches and all of the things so great timing on this interview but a little bit about Dr. Taylor so as I mentioned before she is a pediatric nutrition expert, and she specializes in helping parents nurture healthy relationships with food so their kids eat more veggies and don't obsess over sweets. Dr. Taylor is a mom of three, has a PhD in nutrition, and is a pediatric registered dietitian. She has a YouTube channel with free content and courses for parents about a healthy relationship with food, piggy eating, and infant solids introduction. Her mission is to change the world by making this information accessible and affordable to everyone and to help parents raise the next generation of eaters to love and nourish their bodies. So in this episode with Dr. Taylor, we start off by talking about the many reasons why kids might be picky eaters and how there are indeed many of those reasons. It's not that your child is trying to be difficult or defiant, but there's actually a lot that goes into their food choices and preferences. We also talk about the importance of using neutral language surrounding our food choices and how this is an important shift for us as adults, but also for little ears that might be listening to us talk about food. And we dig into some of the biggest myths surrounding kids and eating. And lastly, we close out with some tips for parents or caregivers who want to create a better at-home food environment. So we will have all of Dr. Taylor's information linked in the show notes. I know I mentioned earlier her Instagram, but it's growing.intuitive.eaters. As my neighbor's weed whacker gets even louder, I apologize. Um, But be sure to check her out on Instagram. She creates so much great content that I love following as a person without kids. I think it's super informative. And as I mentioned in her bio, she also has a YouTube channel where all of her courses and educational content is free, which is truly incredible with how accessible she is making these resources and how readily available they are. So if you have kids, if you're planning on having kids or if you're just interested in the topic in general, I hope you will enjoy this episode and check out some of her content and support her as well. So without further ado, let's go talk to Dr. Taylor. Hi, Dr. Taylor. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Like, uh, like we were talking about before we hit record, this interview has been on the calendar for several months. I have been anxiously awaiting like with all of my <laughs> questions. So I selfishly am very excited to get to chat with you and pick your brain a little bit. And I know our listeners will love it too. I'm excited to be here. I love talking about this. I could talk about it all day. I do talk about it all day. <laughs> You're like, and in fact, I do just that. Yes, that's my well, job and it's great. <laughs> yeah. We'll obviously plug all of like your social media stuff and where people can find you. But I think awesome. one who knows even a little bit about who you are or the content you create, it is so visible in your online presence that you do love this and you know a lot about oh, it. Thank so you. We get you in a more extended version. Today. Yes. Um, before we get to all of that good stuff though, I have some this or that questions. Are you ready? Okay, bring it on. Yep. Okay. If you're going swimming or if you're spending time in a body of water, would you prefer that body of water to be a pool or the ocean? Uh, Oh, the pool, because I feel like I'm a little scared of sharks irrationally. So (laughs) you're like, you keep the sharks away. I don't know how I feel about sand. I live at the beach and the sand will take over your life in every aspect. I love it, but the pool feels cleaner. (laughs) Yep. 
Um, Okay. The second one, if you're going to sit down to watch something, would you prefer that to be a TV series or a movie? A movie, but it's got to be action. I do not like sappy rom-coms. Not for me. I'm a action junkie. I'm personally offended. (laughs) No rom-coms. None at all. (laughs) None of it. I um, I not only like watching rom-coms, but the fiction books that I like to read are all like rom-com style. So, you know, I guess- no, I I don't like that. I can consume enough of that for the both of us. And then you take all of the action and all of that. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Car chases, battles. That's that's my jam. (laughs) I, you know, you're like, I need high intensity. I need something to keep me tuned in to what's going on. Yes. Um, Okay. Switching gears, car puns, since you just said something about cars, chocolate, dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Um, dark chocolate, but nothing above like 72%. That's my limit. If it's above that, then it's too waxy for me and I don't like it. So we have like a dark chocolate with an asterisk of like, yes, only if it is not too dark, <laughs> right. just like yeah, enough yeah. where it has more of the umph of a taste. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you. Okay. We have two more books. I guess I just kind of gave my answer away to this, but do you prefer fiction or nonfiction if you're going to read? Oh my gosh. I have asterisks to everything. Um, fiction, if I'm reading and nonfiction, if it's an audio book. <laughs> I'm the same way. And it's so funny that you say you have like an add-on to every question. I don't yeah. ever had someone on the podcast who just gives like cut and dry this okay. or that. It's always like this, but <laughs> right. <laughs> Very common. Okay. And my final, this or that question that I feel as though I have selected specifically for you. Um, morning coffee or morning Oreos? Oh, morning Oreos. I don't drink. I don't really drink coffee. I only drink it if I'm like really, really tired or on a road trip or something, but morning Oreos, much better use of my, uh, of my eating energy. (laughs) Okay. So tell the people, this was one of the first things that I picked up on when I first started following you, that this was like a very consistent thing that I would see in your stories. And as I like kept looking every single day, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a theme. So tell the people oh, yes. about the morning Oreo. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm real bitter that Oreo has not sponsored me yet on Instagram <laughs> because I feel like I'm the perfect candidate for that. Anyways, um, I love my morning Oreo because I have a sweet tooth, like a big time sweet tooth. I love sweet foods. Cookies are my favorite. And I find that I like crave sweets in the morning. And so usually after I like drop the kids off and I'm like sitting down for work, I just really want something sweet and I can either think about it all day or I can either like have an Oreo or two, enjoy it and then move on with my day. And that's just what I do. Most days I have something sweet after I, after I settle into my day and a lot of times it's an Oreo. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. And, um, do you participate in the seasonal Oreos or are you just like classic all the way? Um, yeah, I have Halloween ones right now, but they don't taste different. They're just like the orange filling, but it tastes the same. Um, I'm not a pumpkin spice girly. Uh I do not really like pumpkin spice that much. Um, so I will sample them, but I haven't found one that I like, think is better than just the double stuffed. The original. That was going to be my next question. I was like, are we double stuffing the Oreos or we like double stuffed? But I've tried like the mega stuffed ones and it's too much for me. So (laughs) I like the regular double stuffed Oreos. They're the best. Yeah. I like how you explain the why behind your Oreo in the morning, because when I think about it, I, I enjoy coffee. I have a very low caffeine tolerance. So I can do like one cup in the morning. But if I think about the things that I add to my coffee, like some syrup, some creamer, like that is also me craving something sweet and something delightful alongside of breakfast. So it really is no different. It's something to look forward to. It's something that gives satisfaction and like fuel to it. So to anyone who's like, what the heck, a morning Oreo? It is literally no different from any other morning ritual that you might- Not at all. I would much rather have like a cup of tea, like a cup of iced tea and an Oreo over like like a sweetened coffee drink. So everybody has their own preference and that's mine. Yep. There we go. And maybe that uh, theme of food preferences will follow us throughout other parts of this episode, I'm assuming. But um, Dr. Taylor, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? And I'm also curious to learn just how you got into 
pediatric dietetics and having that as your population target. Okay. Okay. So we're going way back here. Okay. So, um, I'm Dr. Taylor. I'm a nutrition PhD, pediatric dietitian and mom of three. And I specialize in helping parents raise kids who have healthy relationships with food, particularly if those parents have struggled with eating disorders or disordered eating and don't want to pass that mindset onto their kids with parents who want like evidence-based nutrition without diet culture. That's my specialty. Um, so I've always wanted to work with kids like always. I loved babysitting. I loved doing summer camps when I was like a teenager. And I, uh, my first, like the thing that sparked my passion for pediatric nutrition was during my master's degree. I volunteered at a summer camp for kids with phenylketonuria, which is a genetic metabolic disorder for where the kids can't eat a lot of protein. Um, and so nearly none, no protein from their diet. They have to have a special medical formula that's, um, without certain amino acids and, so these kids have to do like really high maintenance diet management. And so I volunteered at the camp to help them learn how to manage their diet independently. And I just loved it. I just fell in love with it. It was like discovering my passion. And so I, from there, I really loved like complex medical nutrition therapy for kids. So I got my PhD. I thought I wanted to do research. And then I was like, eh not for me. Don't want to be uh, in academia. And I like want to help people like more immediately because when you do research, it can take like 10 years for it to translate into clinical practice. And I was like, but there's all these things we can be helping parents with like now I want to help them right now. Um, and so I worked at the hospital, the local children's hospital, and I did ketogenic diets for kids with epilepsy. So it was like a very complex level of care. Um, but there was always this like underlying, like these underlying concerns that parents had, um, you know, for their kids who were eating by mouth, it was a little bit different if their kids were tube fed or via TPN, but like picky eating and, um, like sensory needs and, you know, like, how do I pass on these healthy eating behaviors to my kids? And then, and then I started working in outpatient at another location and that was even more prevalent. And I was just noticing that parents had similar concerns, you know, what, no matter what medical thing they had going on with their kids, there was like similar concerns that they had. And I wanted to find a way to help as many parents as possible. So that's when I started doing my social media and my online education. I made a course and then I decided to make that course free because I believe that every parent deserves access to evidence-based information about how to feed their kids without diet culture undertones. And so that brings me here. I do all of my education on social media. YouTube is like my primary hub for my long form content, my courses that are all free to access, but I do a lot of more short stuff on Instagram and TikTok and I just love it. I like, I just could talk about this nonstop. I just love it. It's so, it's so amazing that I get to help parents and pursue my passion at the same time. So yeah, you're, you're everywhere at. all the time. You're on YouTube, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, how do you do it all? Um, but that's super cool when you talk about, you know, thinking that you might want to be in research and then realizing what's involved with that and how long-term some of that is and how you wanted to do things that could help a large number of people relatively quickly. And when I think yeah. of one of the upsides of social media, it's that it can allow you to do just that. Access people- yeah. They get your content for free and you get to post as much or as little as you want. So that's exactly. cool. Also, um, it's interesting that you mentioned part of your history working with kids at a summer camp, specifically a summer yes. camp that would like tailor to a lot of their allergies or a lot of their food needs, whatever that might be. Um, I had a small experience working at a summer camp. It was actually right before I got my RD credential. And it was also a summer camp that was a safe house for kids with a lot of more complex food needs and food allergies. Like the campus as a whole was um, free of the top eight or the top 10 allergens, however many it is now. But yeah, it's cool to know that, um, you know, a place like summer camp that can be so fun and such an experience for kids can be a place where they can go, even if they do have more complex food needs. I've never heard oh, yeah. talk about that before. That's neat. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. Well, can we talk about picky eating? Yeah. 
<laughs> like, yes, that's why I'm here. Okay. So, jam. <laughs> so my question about picky eating and I'll, I, I told this to you at the top of the episode, I'll say it to our listeners because I'm just really learning alongside of everyone else here. I don't have kids. I have never had the experience of feeding a child and learning alongside of them with eating. So I'm super curious to know with picky eating, are children born picky eaters? Is it environment-based or is it a combination of both? I'd love to hear your take on that. So yes, it's a combination. Um, picky eating is so multifactorial. Like there's no one or two or three factors that like determine them all. It's it's determined by so many things. Uh, genetics is plays a big role. Um, you like, for example, uh, like the way that you perceive tastes can play a big role in that. Uh, sensory needs can play a big role in that. Whether or not your child is neurodivergent can play a big role. There's definitely some like learned behavior component to it as well. Um, the way that food is exposed to babies can play a role. Um, you know, access to food, trauma, um, let's see what else, medical conditions, medications, so you know, where your kid is at in terms of like their age and their stage and growth, it's, it's so complex. So if anybody ever says like, oh, X, Y, Z causes picky eating, you should just be like, eh, no, it doesn't. It's a big, that's a major red flag because we, it's, it's an incredibly multifactorial thing. Um, so it's all of the above what you asked. <laughs> yeah. I think it's super helpful when you list out all of those factors. And I know there are probably even more things maybe that we yeah. could add to the list, but I have worked with some adults who are parents who have kids. And even though the focus of our sessions isn't on feeding the kids, it's on feeding the parent. They will sometimes share with me, you know, my kid is such a picky eater. I feel like I'm doing something wrong, or I feel like I'm failing as a parent or I'm creating a negative food environment. So I think it's just really valuable to have that whole list where we see that some of those factors, a lot of them are outside of the control of the parent. Would that be correct in saying that? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. There's so many things that are outside of your control as a parent. So that's why like the blame game when it comes to picky eating, isn't helpful or useful or true at all, because you can do all the like quote unquote right things and mm -hmm. still have a picky eater or a selective eater. And I think we also need to like adjust our perception of picky eater, of being a picky eater, because, um, you can be perfectly healthy and be quote unquote picky. Like you don't need to have this massive diet variety to be a healthy person. Your child doesn't need to eat all the veggies in the grocery store in order for them to be healthy. Like if they have a couple rotation of like the fruits or veggies that they like, and you know, they're growing well and they're getting the nutrients they need. Fine. Like some people are just more selective and that's not a bad thing. We have this tendency to like pathologize every way that people eat. And sometimes like the kid just doesn't have a diet, big diet variety and that's okay. And they can still be perfectly okay. I know yeah. when you were answering that question, you use the word picky and you also use the word selective. Are those words yeah. interchangeable or do they refer to two different things? No, they're interchangeable. I prefer selective because uh -huh. I think there's like a less of a stigma. Okay. Um, I, I just think it's, uh, I just prefer that. I think people think of picky and it just sounds bad. Like they almost like crinkle their nose and they say like, oh, my kid's a picky eater. And, and I think it can be problematic when kids start to like identify as that because you say like, oh, my, my son is picky and he's sitting right next to you. And now he thinks of himself as a picky eater. And now it's become part of his identity or the way that he eats. And so I think the words that we use around our kids are very influential about the way that they think about food and they think about themselves and the way that they eat, just like the words that's this, I mean, the same is true with adults, right? Like when you talk about intuitive eating, one of the things that you talk about is addressing the language that you use around food and the same thing that applies to kids as well. So I prefer the term selective, but I also use the term picky in my content because 
I think that's like the mainstream term. And I want people to know what I'm talking about. Totally. Uh, I want people to find my content when they search it. And, you know, most people aren't searching like how to help a selective eater. So if I use the words picky, I can, I can find more parents and help educate them. So I do use them interchangeably. Yeah. It's like the, the funnel is bigger when we're using that word that everyone's more familiar with, but when, yeah. you know, you invite people into this content, then we can learn maybe how using the word selective does feel a little bit more neutral and um, might help the the child not get this idea into their mind of like, oh, I'm picky and I only eat these things. It maybe can right. leave a little bit more room for open-mindedness. So yeah, right. I appreciate the um, explanation there. I noticed that and I try to be very intentional with language as well. So I was like, I need more information. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> that can be for adults too. Like if you consider yourself a picky eater, I would encourage you to to adjust your language around it because being selective isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, especially for people who are neurodivergent or have food allergies, like it's a protective mechanism. Uh, and so, you know, I don't think that we, we think about that a lot when we address picky eating or selective eating. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about some of these variables that we do have more control over in the home. So one, you're talking about language. That is something, mm-hmm. it's a choice. We can use certain language around food. Obviously, we've talked a little bit about how some aspects of picky or selective eating are outside of our control. But if a parent or a caregiver is listening to this episode and they want to just learn a couple of things that might create a better food environment at home or might create a space where kids are more open to trying certain things, I'd love some of your insight into that. Okay. Yeah. So wait, can you, so what was the first question you want to talk about language? <laughs> yes. Um, or I was just using language as an example. So, you know, oh, so okay. far we talked about how certain aspects of picky or selective eating are outside of the caregivers. Oh, right, right, right. Yep. But then we were also talking about how some things maybe we can do or some things okay. might be in the person's control. Got it, got so what would other examples be beyond language? Okay. So, well, language is usually the first thing that I address because I think it's hard to do. And I think it's so ingrained in like your family life and the way that you talk to each other. Um, So next I would say uh, availability of food. I think when parents think about how they want their kids to eat, many will say, I want them to like eat more vegetables and less sweet foods, or I want them to not be obsessed with sweets. That's a common request that I get. And my response to that is that, well, then we need to kind of take sweet foods off of a pedestal because it's usually like this exciting, elusive food in a, in a family's house. And we need to make it more available. You know, we need to serve it on a regular basis alongside the other foods that you serve with your kids. And we want to make it this like regular, non-exciting, it's just a food kind of food. Um, and so we often will introduce sweets more often when a parent wants those things, which can feel so uncomfy and uh-huh. counterintuitive, especially if we've been raised in diet culture, which many parents today have been raised in the diet culture of like the eighties and nineties and early two thousands. And so that, you know, that's one thing I would say is have sweets on a regular basis, serve it alongside the meal. So it's a part of the meal. Don't save it for after. Don't use it as a reward. Don't you refer to it as a, a treat or a, or a cheat food or use it as a bribery uh, to eat certain foods on the plate because all of those things make it seem like the sweet is an exciting food or is an elusive food or is a reward for good kids or good behavior. And all of those things are going to drive your kids to want that sweet food. And if you want them to see it as just like a regular food, then all of those things are counterintuitive to your end goal. Um, so that's definitely one of the things that I also recommend is making that food more available. Also giving your kids control. Um, you kids want control. They want to have autonomy. And I also think we, as parents have a responsibility to give that to them and teach that to them so that when they're adults and independent adults, they can, you know, they have practice making those choices. So give them some control. And the thing I recommend giving them control over is what they eat. So you as a parent are going to choose what's served. You still have boundaries because, 
in parenting and in respectful parenting and authoritative parenting, we still give boundaries to our kids. Um, it's our job to keep them safe and nourished and, and growing, um, as much as we're able to, but within those boundaries, we need to give our kids autonomy because when it comes down to it, all the battles that you may have with your kids around food, like we can't force our kids to eat anything. We really can't. I mean, we can bribe them. We can cajole them. We can punish them. We can do all those things, but ultimately your kid is the one that decides what goes in their mouth. Uh, and so if we give them that control and let go of that control, you're going to, you're going to save yourself so many battles. Um, and so I recommend giving kids control over what they eat and how much they eat within the bounds of what you serve. And as they get older, we can give them some more choice and autonomy over what's being served as we start to kind of hand over those responsibilities to them before or while they're becoming an adult. And then eventually they'll have all of the responsibilities around feeding as well. So I hope that answers your question because it does. It does. (laughs) And more. I I think back to your social media handle, growing intuitive eaters. Like that was the exact idea that came to my mind as you were taking us through this process of giving choice, reminding them that they do have autonomy, right? Because if that is something that is taught in childhood, there is a higher likelihood, I would imagine, that they will grow up continuing to have that relationship with food where it's like, I know what makes me feel good. I can make these choices rather than I have to follow a certain plan or these choices have to be made for me, or I, you know, hate eating or I hate food, all of these things that I imagine that could come from, you know, maybe a a dynamic where food was being forced or, you know, I've had so many adult clients share with me very vivid memories of, I was never allowed to leave the table until I finished that portion of carrots on my plate. Right. And it's really interesting how those memories, even 10, 20, 30 years later can be so vivid and can, you know, bring up so many challenges, even in adulthood and eating. Right. Yeah. I, you know, that example of forcing your kids to finish what's on their plate before they get down from the table is an example where you remove the autonomy from that choice of what to eat, because you are attempting to force your child to eat something and you're creating a battle and you're creating a power struggle. And, you know, it's either, it's going to end badly. It's going to end with a kid being frustrated. Mm -hmm. It's going to end with a kid not listening to what's in their body. It's going to lead to you being frustrated. It's going to lead to a power struggle you know, meal times may become less pleasant and not about connection and community and sharing delicious food. It's going to become about arguing. And so there's really no good that comes out of it. You might think, oh, well, the good that comes out of it is I get my kid to eat vegetables, but no, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because we know that by forcing a child to eat something, they tend to like that food less. We have research on that. So if your end goal is like, I want my kid to be healthy. I want them to have fiber. I want them to have vitamins. That's why I'm forcing them to eat the veggies. You're not creating that end goal. You're not achieving that. You're going to make them like the veggie less. And then when they have the choice to eat it, they're not going to eat that. I mean, I despise peas. Like, oh, I do not like peas. And it's because I remember the moment when I had to eat peas and I did not want to eat peas. And so I will not get the nutrients from peas because I do not like them. (laughs) And so we're causing, you know, this power struggle that can have negative consequences down the road. And so, you know, I don't recommend forcing a kid to finish what's on their plate or bribing them with dessert to eat veggies, because all of those things take away that autonomy that a child needs at mealtime. I guess all of those examples would be times where the ends are not worth the means. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like going through that whole process and having 
a dynamic that is super unpleasant for both the child and the caregiver, even if that ends in they ate vegetables one time, right? It's not going to be a, a system that seems sustainable in the long run. I um I want to go back to something you were talking about earlier along the lines of autonomy and giving children choice in eating. You were talking about doing that within the context of boundaries. Like yes. how you are going to have boundaries. This isn't going to be an absolute free for all where the no. child is calling all right. of the shots in the kitchen. So I'm thinking it could be useful for listeners to maybe have an example of what that could look like. I know you and some of your Instagram content do a lot of great like role play, like yes. child <laughs> said this, I would say this. So could yes. you give us an example of what that could look like, giving them choice, giving them autonomy while also reinforcing or holding a boundary as a parent? Sure. So um, I want to just clarify a little bit why first before mm-hmm. I, I give that example. So I know your listeners are familiar with intuitive eating because that's mm-hmm. like something that you specialize with. So when there's a difference between intuitive eating and in adults and intuitive eating in kids. So I want to clarify that first before I give that example, because many things adults have a more developed brain mm-hmm. <laughs> and more developed, uh, like forethought and executive functioning skills. We can predict consequences of outcomes better than kids can. We have jobs, we have money, we have resources to go to the grocery store whenever we want and buy what we want. We understand if we, you know, while we're learning, we have the ability to understand, I will say, if we, you know, eat 10 Oreos at breakfast and then we have a three-hour meeting, we're going to be super hangry by the time that meeting is over because we didn't eat something that is going to like sustain us and keep us full during that meeting. Whereas a child might not have that forethought to be able to understand that before their school day, if they eat 10 Oreos for breakfast and that's it, they're going to be, you know, not performing well, tired, grumpy, whatever. So the difference between intuitive eating and kids and adults is that parents have those boundaries. So we put those boundaries in place, like the bumpers on the bowling lane. And as they get older, the bumpers start to come off and we've taught them how to bowl straight down the lane and how to aim and, and how to think about what their strategy is when it comes to food. Um, so for example, um, Uh, like I might give my kids a choice of pancakes with yogurt and grapes for breakfast or a peanut butter waffle with bananas. And so I'm giving them choice. I'm giving them autonomy and then whatever they pick at breakfast, I'm going to serve it to them. And then they get to choose what to eat from what I serve. So I'm giving them that autonomy and I'm involving them in the choice. And then I'm not taking away any of their responsibilities at the mealtime table. I'm not saying, Hey, eat breakfast and they're five and they would go into the pantry, pick whatever they want. Like they don't have full unlimited access to my kitchen and pantry at all times. Eventually they will, but my daughter's five. And so she still has a lot of boundaries in place. I might say like, Hey, you can pick your breakfast today, but it's a school day. So you need to make sure you have a protein with it. So, you know, let's say she goes and she just picks like pancakes from the fridge and I might say, okay, well, you still need to have a protein with it. You can have like, this is what I did the other day. I was like, you can have yogurt, you can have scrambled eggs, or you can have edamame. And she's like, I want edamame. And so she had pancakes and edamame for breakfast. (laughs) What a combo. We love it. I know, right? (laughs) But she ate it. Uh And so I'm teaching her, like, I'm starting to remove the bumpers a little bit for her, just starting. I mean, she's only five, so it's just the beginning. But like, I'm teaching her how to how to listen to her body, but also to understand that we need to have like a balanced plate, that gentle nutrition component of intuitive eating, to have a balanced plate to fuel our bodies so that you can do the things that you want to do during the day so that you're the way you eat doesn't hold you back. I'm starting to teach her that. Hmm. Uh, so, um, anyway, that's exactly yeah. Right. Oh, it's cool how you brought up the gentle nutrition component, because that's what was coming to my mind as you were taking me through this example of like, you're not only creating an environment where your daughter, for example, is able 
to listen to her body, like with how much she chooses to eat or mm-hmm. how fast exactly. she progresses through a meal time. But you're also teaching her a little bit about nutrition in a way that she can understand, right? Like, yeah, you know, you're going to school, your body needs fuel. We get some of that through protein. Like it keeps us right. full. Here are three sources of that. So it's this really nice balance of some of the intuitive eating principles that are boundary, right? Not a free for all mm-hmm. while also giving tidbits of nutrition knowledge. I, I just think that's a, yeah, a really cool balance, a cool way to go about it. Yeah. And I think a lot of parents are, a lot of parents also get hung up on like, I need to teach my kids about nutrition and about carbs mm-hmm. and blood sugar and, and fiber and why it works for them. And, and yeah, great. Like that stuff is fascinating. And I love that. And if you have a curious kid, definitely answer their questions, but like, that's probably more appropriate for older kids. If you have younger kids, like I don't need to sit my daughter down and give her a lecture about how protein helps stabilize blood sugar. And like, <laughs> that's why, but, but that, that is why I'm encouraging her to eat protein, but I don't need to have this full on like lecture with her about it for now. Like it's better for me to like, play with the edamame beans and like explore them and open them up and see how many beans are inside each pod. And like, that's how I'm teaching her to enjoy protein at breakfast. Not like protein is good for blood sugar and, and you need to keep your brain focused at school. And that's why we have protein at breakfast. So there's a, there's a difference depending on the age, but there's a difference in how I approach that and in, in giving that them that information. Yeah. I love that reframe too, where it's like, there is that educational component, but it's going to be um, very age specific. And even your example about like, what's in this edamame pod, how many beans are in there, how that can be more um, engaging and appropriate for a younger age. And then, you know, when there are more questions and when she is older, then maybe educating a bit more on the why or the how protein works in the body. Um, Another question that I'd love to ask before we wrap up, because I I think, I imagine, I know this happens with like adults in the anti-diet space where there are, okay. so, many, there are so many myths and so many misunderstandings oh, yeah. about eating. I imagine the same applies to children and eating. So <laughs> with your experience and with the time that you've spent in this space or on social media, what would you say are the biggest like one to two myths that you see circulating all the time about kids and eating and teaching your kids how to eat all of these things. Mm. Oh gosh, that's really hard. <laughs> um, I have to pick only one to two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm going to say the first one is that sugar makes kids hyper. That's oh, the first myth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so not only do so we have research to show that sugar does not make kids hyper we don't see an increase in hyperactivity in kids um and if you think about like the environment where kids get a lot of sugar in our culture usually it's like birthday parties or you know a school event or halloween and and those times are really freaking exciting to kids. Mm -hmm. They're so exciting. And so like that environment tends to make kids hyper and excited and happy. Um, or maybe it's, you know, you're, you don't really give your kids sugar a lot and you like take them out for ice cream. Well, that's fun. That's exciting. And so those are, those are more of the reasons why we see like an increase in excitement and hyperactivity in kids rather than actual sugar itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I, you know, will get pushed back. Like you've never been around a classroom full of kids after Halloween or something like that. Um, but you know, we have research to show that it doesn't cause hyperactivity and oftentimes our own biases can affect the way that we perceive things. So take it with it, you know, take it how you want it. Yeah. I just, that's probably a big myth. Um, another one is food dyes. Now I'm going to get a lot of this is a very controversial topic that Do food tell. Dyes I'm so curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, so red dye 40 specifically is the one that's usually in the forefront of the discussion here. So we have some moderate to weak evidence. Uh, so not great translation, not fabulous evidence that shows that red dye 40 can cause an increased hyperactivity among kids with ADHD. And that's only like 8% of kids with ADHD. And the increase in hyperactivity is a relatively small percent that we see. Um, But for the vast majority of the population, we do not see 
an increase in hyperactivity. Uh, and oftentimes it may be a placebo effect or, um, something else that is affecting your kid when you give them those foods with red dye. Um, there are kids who are affected by it, but it's not the vast majority of the population. So I think those are, those are like the two biggest myths in the forefront of my mind right now, because they're being addressed so much on TikTok. TikTok is loving the red dye conversation right now. (laughs) Oh my God. I even at a brief mention of those topics, what came up in me was like, Ooh, <laughs> let's start a fight. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah, Not I between know. us, but mm-hmm. I imagine um, as a content creator, when you go to talk on those hot button topics, you just know when you hit the post button that there's going to be chatter and questions in the comment <laughs> section. But it, it kind of reminds me of something we were talking about earlier when you were giving the example of sweets and working to take them off of a pedestal and offer them more regularly and not make them this novel, special experience. Part of me also has to wonder, you know, you were talking about the exciting environments like birthday parties, but also, if it's something that is never offered, never available at home, right. it's always this talk. You make it fun with you that. You don't need that. It's like, not only are they eating it in a fun environment, but it's the added excitement of, we haven't had this ever. Like, mom or dad exactly. or grandpa, like, never lets us keep this in the house. So I would bet that plays into it as well. Oh, totally. Totally. When we make, tr- like, treat, quote unquote, treat foods an elusive thing, we make it exciting by not serving it. We make it exciting. So if we want it to not be this thing that our kids are seeking out, it needs to be a not big deal food. I'm not saying you need to give your kids like soda and M&Ms for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, we can definitely make it a non big deal food by having it available and serving it on a regular ro- rotation and keeping it in your house. Just the same with intuitive eating for adults. Like if, if, you know, M&Ms is the like forbidden food for you, you, one of the things that you would recommend to your clients is buying M&Ms and having them in your pantry. And that's what I would say for parents. Like if, if your kid is obsessed with M&Ms, buy the M&Ms and like serve them alongside their steak and broccoli on the plate. And just, it's like a normal part of dinner. It's just on the plate. And then the next day, maybe it's on top of their yogurt. And the more you do that, the the less exciting it's going to be. It might take some time Mm -hmm. for neurodivergent kids. It can take a lot of time (laughs) and we may need to put some additional strategies in place for those kiddos, but, but we, I do have strategies moving forward for that. Yeah. And I think that's, even my main takeaway from this conversation is like, we can offer access, we offer permission within a structure that is going Mm -hmm. to benefit the kid, right? That's appropriate Mm -hmm. for their age or their needs, whatever it might be. So I hope that is maybe part of the takeaway of other people. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Before we get your social media handles and where people can find you, this is just like a totally random thing that came up in my mind as you were talking about the dye and the sugar in food. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm sure you have seen this creator on social media. I don't even know his oh. handle, but his is name- it Bobby? It is Bobby. Yeah. Yep. Bobby. And I, w- I was just so annoying. <laughs> I already know probably your response, but for anyone, for anyone who's not familiar, don't go seek him out. Don't Mm-mm, even please don't let your algorithm know that you are trying to search for his content, but right. the thing that I've seen from him more recently. And I think I've seen this because a lot of dietitians are stitching it and talking about the harms, but he's making a lot of these videos in the grocery store, pointing out quote unquote, bad ingredients with his daughter in the grocery cart with him and kind of like indoctrinating her on the good and the bad ingredients. And I just fear for her and how she'll grow up around food. And I'm sure you see that and have similar, if not more thoughts than I do, because you are a parent and this is what you specialize in, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, so let me just give two thoughts on that. One, we are using a child for clickbait on videos. Okay. So I have thoughts about that unrelated to the fact that it's in nutrition. So I think that there's a whole ethical component piece to that, that could be addressed on a different podcast. Um, number two, like the mindset that we can, that we instill with our kids in that is that food is something to be feared. And, 
we're also instilling like an elitist mindset in food about food, an ableist mindset around food and teaching our kids that they are young. I mean, this child is young. She's young to scan a label, to look for ingredients in, you know, aside from allergies, because that's a whole different conversation instead of learning about the food and exploring the food and enjoying the food and how does it taste and how does it make my body feel and and how does it grow and and you know those conversations are so much more valuable than like if you can't pronounce the word the the word on the food label you shouldn't be eating it or look out for this preservative or it's just the it's so frustrating that this, that this message is being conveyed to parents. And so I think that if we take an approach to fun and exploration and curiosity and, you know, listening to your body and nourishing and loving and respecting the food and your body, it's a much more balanced and like quote unquote healthy approach to feeding our kids rather than a fear-based approach. Yeah, because that's exactly what the videos are. They're very fear-based and they are clickbaity. And like you said, that's a whole other conversation about the the ethics and the (laughs) the safety of of that practice. But Dr. Taylor, I appreciate you so much being here. Thank you. My question pleasure. Yeah, I knew I um I threw a couple different things at you from biggest myths to picky slash selective and all the things, but I took a lot away from our conversation. I I know that our listeners did as well. So if anyone loves what you're saying and they want some of your free courses. They want to learn more about you. They want to see some of like the role play content of like parent kid conversation. Please tell us where we can find you and get more of your stuff. Sure. So I'm on Instagram at growing.intuitive.eaters. I'm at TikTok at dr.taylorarnold. That's dr.taylorarnold. Um, I'm on YouTube at Growing Intuitive Eaters. That's where you'll find my free courses on uh, raising an intuitive eater, starting solids without diet culture mentality, whether that be baby led weaning, combo feeding or puree feeding, um, all are welcome. Uh, I also have a course on, uh, picky eating and variety, increasing your child's diet variety, whether or not you consider them a selective eater. And then I have a course on constipation and a course on milk and how to transition your kid to milk questions about milk and how to pick a milk for your child. If you want to pick one at all, that's all on my YouTube. Um, I have more exciting stuff coming, including some ADHD content that I'm really super excited about. So join me on YouTube because that's where my best stuff is. Um, and you can always like search your question uh, in my channel and see if I've already made a video and that will hopefully pop up. I also have a Patreon if you want to support my free content, because again, all my courses and content is free to parents. So that's a way that you can uh, chat with me. I do offer like DM chat support in my Patreon. So yeah, but I hope you join me. The Growing Intuitive Leaders community is a wonderful place on the internet and all are welcome. And I'm excited to have you there. Yeah. I imagine it is a growing community of people growing yes. intuitive leaders because <laughs> you fill it with so much value. And yeah, I'll, um, I'll make sure in the show notes that we have links to everything and your awesome. Patreon and all the things, but it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Listeners. That is all we have. So we will go ahead and sign off by saying yours truly, Claire and Dr. Taylor. And that is a wrap for episode 182 here on the Yours Truly podcast with myself and Dr. Taylor Arnold. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Taylor for being here, for gracing us with her presence and her knowledge. Like I've said about a million times so far, but be sure to connect with Dr. Taylor online, support her, look at her free courses, follow her on Instagram because the content will keep on coming. I promise you. Um, If you liked this episode or anything else that I share here on the Yours Truly podcast, it would mean the world to me and the show if you could tap those five stars if you're listening on apple Podcasts, and maybe leave a review if you have time if you're listening elsewhere and there's a place to rate and review there please do that or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on a social media platform be sure to tag me and dr taylor as well at growing.intuitive.eater so that we can give you a shout out and a thank you for listening but that is all i have for today so i will see you back here next month and until then happy fall